last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. Bing, 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 bing. Podfather, Infinity, Dynasty Drone, Zero. That is the scoreboard of the show. And. I, I, I like this Ty Johnson guy. He's impressive. And. Josh Adams had the starting role. Josh Adams has died. Dead. 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 I have my tear ducts glued shut at like age nine. And. These people are slaves to Twitter because it's the only way they can communicate with the outside world. It's like they're one phone call in jail. They have to unfollow me and then announce to the world they're unfollowing me. And that announcement creates more followers for me. <laughs> just, just hashtag blessed. And. Wait, you're busting out multiverse on this show? I've been saying for years that you're actually smart. I don't want to leak too much of this. I want to make sure that my role is maintained. And in the history of wide receivers, Matt Waldman has never seen a more talented player than fourth rounder Hakeem Butler. And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! What? Me? And That's the third rail when there is even a whiff of sexism or racism involved. And I'm willing to grab a hold of that third rail and let the electricity surge through my body. And uh... Bezos. Ah, that's all right. He'll fix her up. What's wrong with you? And was that Kirsten Dunst's dream a wet dream? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once when I was 15. I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. And okay, that time you definitely said dick. But the problem is it's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, God, when it's just this monster. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Hello, Matt. Hello, Nate. Are you watching any NBA basketball? Well, not right now because we are recording during game six. Oh, no. Scheduling snafu by the administrators at the Sonic Truth podcast. I hope you're TiVoing it. People still TiVo is a DVR. I hope you're DVRing it. I think TiVo is its own thing, but I, I've got the channel on. I haven't DVR'd it, so as long as my wife doesn't change the channel, I can rewind. I like a little risk. Oh, wow. You didn't mention it to her at all? Oh, oh no. We'll see how much she cares about this marriage. You're playing cable box roulette? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. I am. The whole time we're doing this show, I'm just hoping... Wishful thinking the entire duration of this. Can you name a bigger blunder in the history of sports than Kevin Durant suiting up for game five despite an injury? 
Uh, Laquan Treadwell participating at the NFL Combine. <laughs> I thought he skipped it. Who, Laquan Treadwell? Yeah. Didn't he famously skip the 40 at the Combine? I thought he ran, and he ran like a 4-6. No, he ran a 4-6 at his pro day. I know he ran, uh, I know he did all the drills. I'm, maybe I'm forgetting exactly how this went down. Did he do his vertical leap there, though? He did the explosion drills at the Combine, but he intentionally skipped the 40 because he knew he was slow. That's right, but it caught up to him anyways. Good answer, though. We're out here. We're trying. Let me rephrase, and let's narrow the scope of this question just to Kevin Durant. What showed more weakness? Uh Uh-oh. Signing with Golden State to tilt the competitive balance of the NBA in his favor to put a championship on his resume for public validation or succumbing to peer pressure, public pressure, playing injured in game five the the thing about playing in game five is that it was an elimination game so he looked like a hero it was a dumb move the results were awful but he looked like a hero but obviously the answer is signing with golden state in the first place also a move based on public perception he signed with golden state not because he wanted to play with golden state necessarily but because he wanted to fulfill the championship requirement that he perceived was necessary to be viewed as one of the top players in the NBA. It seems that Kevin Durant's every move throughout his career has been based on what he believes the public wants him to do instead of acting in his own best interest, what is best for Kevin Durant. And when you're constantly acting in a way, and when you're constantly focused on pleasing others and looking for external validation rather than establishing self-esteem from within... You're going to find yourself in awkward situations. You're going to find yourself in conflict. You're going to find yourself making decisions that are ultimately not in your best interest. Yeah, the the Kevin Durant thing, I mean, I think he was just trying to do what LeBron did when LeBron went to Miami and made the super team with Bosh and with Wade, and LeBron got those titles out of the way. You know, the the one that he brought back to Cleveland, down 3-1 to Golden State, people are always going to remember that. For me, I think I look at Kevin Durant the way I looked at LeBron. I'm a huge fan of LeBron, but I looked at those titles and felt like you didn't really earn those. You you put together a super team. And you came up through the East, which was easier. But those Heat teams struggled, Nate. The Heat team lost to the Mavericks the first year. As soon as you lose to the Mavericks in year one, that year you're supposed to win it and win it easily. You consider any championships achieved after that to be earned The problem with Kevin Durant is he went to Golden State after the same nucleus had already won a championship. So he was setting himself up to fail. He thought that that first championship would bring him validation. It never arrived. And he's been chasing the public's affection ever since. And it's fleeting. It's just this rope that keeps slipping away out of his grasp. Here's the reality of it. When when LeBron won in Cleveland... I mean, that was one of the that was the biggest moment in his career. He 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 did everything that he ever set out to do by going back to Cleveland and winning one. If Durant went back to Oklahoma City, which is not going to happen and won one where he started, that would be epic. Well, he can't win one as long as Russell Westbrook is there. You can't win a title with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook (laughs) is one of the least efficient players in the NBA, and he's a team killer. He's the new Carmelo. Like the reason why Kevin Durant didn't win a championship earlier is because he was playing with Russell Westbrook if the Oklahoma City traded Westbrook rather than Harden to Houston 
then Kevin Durant never would have ended up in Golden State because they already would have had a championship in Oklahoma City. That's the sliding doors of the NBA and all sports leagues. A decision point made by someone completely disconnected from you in some front office and some building in Oklahoma City and Houston, Texas, determines your fate. I, I still can't believe the team that he was on. I mean, I realize Westbrook is a total, is a total killer in the, the dream of making it to the NBA Finals. But to have Westbrook... If your goal is to win games, Russell Westbrook... I know. ...hurts your chances. I know, but think about that. Westbrook, Harden, Durant, and they even had Serge Ibaka at the time. I mean, that that is an insane amount of drafted players on one roster. They needed to find a way to keep Serge and get rid of Westbrook. In today's NBA, where every player movement is tracked and efficiency is king... The Thunder might have made a different decision, but the league was not using analytics to make player personnel decisions back when the Thunder traded James Harden to the Rockets. Now, how big of a mistake was Kevin Durant playing in Game 5? I mean, I don't think Durant goes out there knowing that he's going to rupture his Achilles tendon. I mean, obviously, there was there was something going on already. But look, he was 3-for-3 three three from 3-point. Three I mean, right off the bat, I think he had 11 points when he went out or... 10 and 12 minutes. I mean, he was going to kill. If that guy played the whole game, he was going to drop 45 on him and bury him. It wasn't going to be a one-point win for Golden State. They were going to win by 17. Then Durant goes out. You know, he gets hurt. You just can't predict these things. Except that he wasn't healthy because he strained that exact tendon earlier this season. And even Steve Kerr admitted if it were a regular season game, they would not have asked him to play that they felt like he was at least a week or two away from playing in the context of a regular season game. Is it not irresponsible to recommend a player risk his health just based on the calendar? I mean, come on, man. That was about as heroic as it gets, though. They're staring down the barrel of an elimination game on the road. Kevin Durant didn't want to go out sitting on the bench. I get it. I mean, of course, in hindsight, look what it did to his career. I think the reality is that he re-signs with Golden State because what does he have to lose? I mean, the difference is $32 million in Golden State, $40 million if he goes to New York. If he goes to New York, the team's going to be awful. He's going to miss a full year, year and a half, two years. If I'm him, I just stay in Golden State. Why not? We just saw DeMarcus Cousins come off literally the same injury, revitalize his career on a small contract in Golden State, and Golden State would pay him. Screw it. Stay there. Keep winning rings. I mean, why, why leave? It's a great call. Why would you leave? You've already made the decision to go to Golden State. They're going to a new arena. You're now a hero in that community. You sacrificed yourself for the team. You're doing yourself a disservice going anywhere else. That's a great point, Nate. You should be on ESPN. You ever heard of that that network? I No, I don't. I've never heard of that. You're doing yourself a disservice by limiting your exposure to the Sonic Truth podcast and a breakout finder. Where else can people find you? Uh, I, I don't know. You can find me on Twitter, I guess. That's about it, Matt. Or you can find me in my front yard. What about Breakout? This is where you're supposed to tout the Breakout Finder, Nate. Isn't there a YouTube channel? If you go on YouTube and search the Breakout Finder or go to the Breakout or go to BreakoutFinder.com, you can find all the YouTube videos. You can watch the new stuff we put out. We just did one with JJ Zacharyson. I put on a wig with an American flag headband and sunglasses. You look majestic. Thank you. Very much over the top. I did my... My best Matt Kelly version 2.0 impression. Try to keep it strong. I just try to keep that energy high for him. Who did you identify as the best breakout candidate in that show? In that show? 
what's the I don't even understand the question. Who did you and JJ talk about? What do you mean you don't understand the question? Oh, we talked well, of course we talked about a lot of things, but DJ Moore definitely came up a lot. That was a guy that in terms of breakouts, uh, he was a big name on that episode. I mean, Curtis Samuel obviously got a run. Um, in terms of rookies, Andy Isabella got a lot of hype, uh, rightfully so. Oh, Andy Isabella. I want to talk about Andy Isabella because I read on Twitter that if you go back and review his senior bowl practice and game tape, I don't know what that means, you'll notice that he was pretty much a non-factor versus top-level competition. You can't fix a small catch radius, especially if you're a chronic body catcher like Isabella. This take was created by a cliche generator, a sports cliche generator. It's not good, and it's not a good graphic either, if I may say. Man, the Isabella takes, are people really coming out saying these things after the NFL evaluated him as a second-round talent? The Arizona Cardinals, a team that needed a wide receiver to pair with Christian Kirk, knowing that Larry Fitzgerald was on his way out at some point. They drafted a 5'10 white receiver from UMass in the second round. That fucking happened, Nate. It did happen. And that validates everything, and it totally discredits what this says. This is out the window now. We don't. Uh, we're talking about what he did at Senior Bowl for a few weeks. I heard from multiple sources he had a great Senior Bowl, and then others said he had a bad Senior Bowl. Yeah. This is film grinding, perfectly distilled at its finest. That's when Penny Hart tore it up. But Penny Hart ran a four seven forty. Isabella ran a four three one. That's one hundredth percentile. He also had above-average burst and above-average agility. This guy looks like Tyler Lockett. Doesn't everyone want Tyler Lockett on their fantasy team right now? Of course. Of course. Tyler Lockett excelled in all phases at Kansas State. The dynamic score on the breakout finder, very high. He was a special teams ace. Ran that 4-4-40. Precise route runner. Checked a lot of boxes coming out. The only box he doesn't check is size. I compared... Tyler Lockett to Kenny Galladay on the last Mind of Mansion podcast with Nelson Souza, the high-stakes dynamo. And Lockett and Galladay are in very similar situations as the number one ascending receiver with upper percentile athleticism across the board trapped in a run-first offense. The difference is that Tyler Lockett's quarterback is Russell Wilson, Galladay's is Matthew Stafford. Advantage, Lockett, right? All day. All day, of course. And and look, we're, we're talking about uh, Doug Baldwin going away, right? So with Doug Baldwin leaving, that's just opening up more opportunity on a team that has really no veteran members of the wide receiver group. They brought in a lot of rookies. Tyler Lockett, clearly the, the number one candidate to be the most targeted receiver in this offense, the leader in the passing game. I mean, you have to love Tyler Lockett with Russell Wilson the most efficient passer in the league, or right up there. And we've seen the stats when Lockett and Russell, you know, when Russell targets Lockett, it's one of the best combinations in the whole league. So let's up his target share, another 25, 30 targets for the year, and what are you going to get? Potentially a wide receiver one in fantasy, and Isabella can play that Tyler Lockett role in Arizona as Kyler Murray can play that Russell Wilson role under center. It's a perfect parallel. It really is. Tyler Lockett's one of the best double-move wide receivers in the NFL, and Isabella was the best double-move receiver in the draft. That's why they drafted him in the second round. The Cardinals could have drafted Akeem Butler in the second round. They didn't. Weren't interested. They drafted Andy Isabella for a reason. They took Isabella 
over DK Metcalf so long ago. It's hard to believe, but that happened. And now the Arizona Cardinals are telling you, they're signaling to us that they want to break the NFL record for plays run in a season. So you want starting skill position players on that team. After Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, the player with the draft capital, the player with the athleticism, the player with the age-adjusted college production, he has the early breakout age, he has the 52% dominator rating, it's Andy Isabella. Andy Isabella is going to outproduce Hakeem Butler this season. Now, I don't have Isabella on any fantasy teams because our rookie drafts and all these patron leagues that I'm in and the Ultimate Dynasty Podcasters League, all these drafts occurred in early May. And and the Darrell Henderson hype had not yet reached its zenith. And it has not yet reached its zenith. It has not culminated. Oh, no. Darrell Henderson will continue to rise like a helium balloon in the sky. His ADP is not going to stop. But I was able to get Darrell Henderson in the early second round in a lot of leagues. But you can't get him in the early second round anymore. Darrell Henderson is now firmly entrenched in the late first round. I would take him as early as the 106 now. So going back, if I could not have selected Darrell Henderson in many of those rookie drafts in the second round, I would have strongly considered Andy Isabella because he is in the running for most productive rookie wide receiver of 2019 because of the offensive system that he's been dropped into. He could very easily outproduce Nikhil Harry. He could very easily outproduce A.J. Brown. There are not many rookie wide receivers you can imagine outproducing Andy Isabella this season. Marquise Brown's quarterback is Lamar Jackson. Just go down the list. D.K. Metcalf should outproduce him. And I won't be surprised when Nikhil Harry outproduces him. But And certainly, we love Paris Campbell catching passes from Andrew Luck. But there are precious few wide receivers that I can imagine that I can see outproducing Andy Isabella this season because he's going to see the field. I mean, there's going to be four receiver sets in Arizona frequently. You want that. Yeah, I mean, if you can get your hands on Isabella, like you said, uh, you're you're going for him. There's lots of receivers in this class that I like, but there's few, just like you pointed out, that I feel like could outproduce him. I think a guy that I would put on the same level, if potentially not a little higher, would be a guy like Debo Samuel. That's right. Debo Samuel is certainly a candidate to be the most productive rookie wide receiver. It's a great call. But I think what's mostly against Isabella. Isabella is, is just how many mouths there are to feed and what will this offense. Oh, can you stop it with the mouths to feed? What will this offense truly look like? Let's just think about it for a second. I just ripped this. I know. Nameless, faceless, bad Twitter meme. Yeah, I realize for hitting us with a torrent of cliches, and then you follow that up with a cliche of your own. I'm not saying, hold on, now hold on, now hold on, just wait a minute. Now I'm not saying that Isabella couldn't see 85 to 100 targets. I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility. 100 targets? I'm just saying, 85, you go for I'm not saying you can't see 80. Slow down. Hold on, I'm not saying you can't see 85 to 100. I'm bouncing up and down here. Hold on, hold on, look. Let's not forget they've got David Johnson, Christian Kirk, Fitzgerald's out there, Hakeem Butler's out there. I don't think Hakeem Butler's going to be out there. I think Trent Sherfield's going to outproduce Hakeem Butler this season. I went on the Breakout Finder video cast and put it out there and said, I think that Kelvin Harmon outproduces Hakeem Butler in 2019. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't. 
the better question will be who doesn't outproduce Hakeem Butler in 2019. <laughs> uh, David Sills? I don't know. Don't underestimate David Crosby, Sills, and Nash. <laughs> Literally any name I would have said. David Sills was undrafted. I mean, come on. He was not draftable. There are some undrafted wide receivers that could outproduce Hakeem Butler. Preston Williams could do it. Think about the depth chart that Preston Williams has to climb. Name a shallower depth chart than what we have in Miami, where their number one receiver is Kenny Stills and the ghost of Devontae Parker just chasing this dream, right? Chasing this rainbow that is the dream of Devontae Parker. And I love that Devontae Parker is getting hype after we compared Hakeem Butler to Devontae Parker last season. Now watch Preston Williams outproduce Devontae Parker this season. Can you see that happening? Oh, boy. I don't want to give you the answer you don't want to hear, but I'm going to say no. He's not going to produce. He's not going to outproduce Devontae Parker next year. He could be the most productive undrafted rookie. I mean, he's best comparable to Jay Kumaro. I mean, that's something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has a 45% dominator rating at Colorado State. Okay, but how about this? That's one of the best dominator ratings in a pseudo-major conference you're going to find. I said pseudo-major conference. It's not a real major. It's not an actual major conference. Okay, so hold on. So we agree that the conference isn't great. Awful athleticism. One year of production as essentially a senior. I mean, the 111.67th percentile burst and 1146 24th percentile agility is going to be a problem. Oh, baby. But he's making plays in minicamp, man. Okay, all right. Now, hold on. There's a little more here. I got, I got a little more. And then he's also got the absurd track record of being a total a total dipshit. He went to Tennessee as a five-star recruit. He lasted two seasons after he failed drug test. Then he transfers, fails another drug test at Colorado State, then gets disinvited to the NFL Combine for a 2017 domestic violence arrest. Here's the thing. Oh, no. If he wasn't on as skinny of a depth chart as he is. He's wearing a gold and green tie, though. I know those are the Colorado State colors, but they're also the colors of... Money! <laughs> no, Baylor, Nate, Baylor. Oh, bro. What the fuck is wrong with you, money? What are you, what are you talking about? Yes, money... But Baylor, I mean, Preston Williams looks like the quintessential Baylor wide receiver, does he not? Ugh. How did he not end up at Baylor? No, you're right. I don't I don't know what to say. I'm sorry about the money reference, my people. It's just all about acquisition. The money thing. I've never deadpanned you in the camera harder. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't be sorry. It was great comedy. Thank you. I, I just, I there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a fan, but the things that you are citing, the college dominator, Similar to a man that came out of the same school. I mean, a five-star recruit with a 45% dominator rating. Landing on a very shallow depth chart is interesting. How about another wide receiver that came out of the same school with poor athleticism that was a great talent at that college? Rashard Higgins. That is goddamn right. Rashard Higgins. All they do is put out producers with no athleticism. But all Rashard Higgins does is make plays in minicamp. <laughs> yeah. So does Preston Williams, apparently. Right. 
Preston Williams catching passes from Ryan Fitzpatrick in minicamp. Rashard Higgins catching passes in the end zone from Baker Mayfield, tiptoeing on the sideline. You have to stash Rashard Higgins, do you not? He could be the third receiver. I mean, Antonio Callaway's not guaranteed to win that number three wide receiver job. The snap share was divided pretty evenly between Higgins and Callaway last season. I mean, think of Higgins as like a low-budget version of Tyler Boyd. Like, if, if his breakout happens, he could be like a 65% of Tyler Boyd kind of thing where you're you're surprised that he put up. Oh, now I'm excited. I, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, that's not bad. Wide receiver three numbers, you'd be happy. But your favorite undrafted wide receiver has to be Emmanuel Hall, right? Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Well, this is a dangerous road that we're going down right now, Matt. I think. Does he also check those knucklehead boxes that you talk about? Emmanuel Hall did not check the uh, the knucklehead boxes you've so eloquently put. I heard that he was a knucklehead. That's why he went undrafted. Boy, I, I don't think that he... Well, not when we're comparing it to multiple failed drug tests, domestic violence. No, I just heard that he was cocky in the interview. Oh, I think that's what I heard as well. I, I don't know that that's necessarily why he fell. It, it might also be... I love the NFL evaluators would knock Emmanuel Hall more for arrogance than Preston Williams for actually breaking the law on multiple occasions. Yeah, Preston Williams, he did he did some things wrong. But So let's go over this. This is a case of a guy that went to a depth chart with a ton of weapons. A ton of weapons. Yeah, this is the problem with Emmanuel Hall. That's why he's going to get outproduced by Preston Williams, because he landed on the Bears. He's behind Allen Robinson, who's now healthy. I mean, Allen Robinson, you have to admit, is a screaming value in dynasty leagues. It was not long ago that Allen Robinson was viewed as as the NFL's next alpha dog X receiver, a more efficient version of Mike Evans. That was the perception of Allen Robinson. Then he tore his ACL. And and let's look at this for a second, talking about Emmanuel Hall. I, to be totally honest with you, I've got two reasons why uh, stating this. You better be honest with me. You better not fucking lie to me, Nate. You better not fucking lie to me. You better be honest like you said you would be. I sent you that promise ring, didn't I? Do not break your word. Be honest. I, you got Anthony Miller. And we're all obliged to say we like Anthony Miller. Everybody likes Anthony yes. Miller. He scored seven touchdowns with half a shoulder. We get it. Anthony Miller's good. Cordero Patterson. They draft Riley Ridley. They're not cutting Riley Ridley. Emmanuel Hall literally is on the roster bubble, and he's a guy that offers zero kick return, punt return ability. He has he has not done it in his career. How is he going to make that roster? Into this depth chart that's so deep. How does he make the roster? I don't, I don't think he makes this roster. They can't keep him over Cordell Patterson, and even though he's better than Riley Ridley, they're going to keep Ridley because of the draft capital. They can't make their general manager look foolish as if he squandered a fourth-round pick, which he did. <laughs> Right? So they're going to make the suboptimal choice right. and keep Ridley over Hall, even though Hall is better. So Hall gets cut. Where do you want him to go? And let me remind you, this is a guy with a 144.5 99th percentile burst score with a 90th percentile speed score. I mean, this guy has incredible athleticism. Man, this is this is a tough one. This is one of those guys that you you want to go to a team with a quarterback with a big arm. I mean, I wouldn't mind if you went to the Bills. Honestly, if if Josh Allen could push it downfield, I know Josh Allen's not an accurate quarterback. Oh, he does look like a more explosive version of Robert Foster. He really does. I, I mean, it reminds me of Brashad Perryman. I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things here. So, I mean, obviously, you want him to go to the Saints. You want him to go to the you know. What if he goes to Denver and the Broncos promote Emmanuel Hall's college quarterback Drew Locke 
Oh, there you go. There you go. Pair him back up. Right? Emmanuel Sanders, the other Emmanuel, can't come back from the Kevin Durant Achilles tear. Right. The number three wide receiver job is wide open at that point. Here we are. Drew Locke is the quarterback. How do the Broncos not sign Emmanuel Hall at that point? They need a healthy Emmanuel. Yeah. You have to have one Emmanuel on the roster. And they already have Drew Locke from Missouri or Missouri. Lock it in. Get Emmanuel Hall. Yeah, I like it. That's a that's a good spot. I mean, how John Elway didn't sign Emmanuel Hall in free agency just speaks to John Elway's incompetence. This is a an absolutely terrible wide receiver group. The the wide receiver group in Denver is gross. Do you think Emmanuel Hall can earn more snaps and routes than Tim Patrick, <laughs> River Craft? Yeah, Craig Craft. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think there's any reason why he's not the number four receiver the second he the the ink dries on the pen you know on the page if he goes to Denver right like immediately immediately the number four there's nobody else here Emmanuel Hall needs to go to Denver I like that call I want Ashton Doolin to stay put in Indianapolis because Ashton Doolin is an injury away from being an injury away he's my favorite undrafted wide receiver and I love his landing spot so I'm stashing him even on relatively shallow dynasty teams even teams with 25 total roster spots i'm finding a way to stash ashton doolin you got to. you have to he's on the colts uh yeah you know i I was not a fan of ashton doolin pre-draft i realize what he is right now what ashton doolin is many of these guys they're athletic small school players and the ones that ended up on good depth charts we're going to probably talk about a few more here i know new orleans has one but we're, we're talking about the colts right now and they get their opportunity to play, that's really your moment to sell. Because reality is, these guys don't have lengthy NFL careers. Doolin's probably not going to have a long NFL career. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I know you don't want to hear it. Stop it. Stop it. He's a 93rd percentile speed score at a 1022, 86th percentile catch radius. After dominating the level of competition that was on his schedule. He couldn't opt to go play Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi, those teams weren't on his schedule. He could only play the teams on his schedule. And he went out and posted a 99th percentile dominator rating against those teams. He did the most you could possibly do and flashed well above average athleticism at the NFL scouting combine. He's a better prospect than Preston Williams. And if he had been recruited by Tennessee, he would have stuck. I'm sure he would have paid, I'm sure his behavior, I, I, I do not believe he would have got kicked out. You know what's funny? You literally just described another wide receiver that is on the exact same depth chart as Ashton Doolin. Matthew Kelly, may I please pull back the curtain and reveal Krishan Hogan is on the same depth chart. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've heard this before. You have heard this before. I'm just copy and pasting my Krishan Hogan analysis. You are. Except that Krishan Hogan was not as productive. Uh, I'm a Krishan Hogan truther. I really am. He went to Marion and Ashton Doolin went to Malone, but Krishan Hogan is in a walking boot and Ashton Doolin's healthy. And that's what matters. You give these guys a chance. Krishan Hogan didn't fire. Now we put our chips over on the Ashton Doolin square. That's how this works. Yeah, you're right. And I think that right out of the gate, Ashton Doolin's going to be competing with the, the Dion Kane for that wide receiver five spot. But Deion Kane admitted that he likely won't be 100% until November. He is going to end up on the pup list still rehabbing his torn ACL. 
that's an opportunity for Ashton Doolin. The moment I heard Dion Kane pup list, I thought, ooh, oh, 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 little opening, little opening for our man Ashton to sneak in there and earn that roster spot. Oh yeah. So I'm with you. Doolin landed in arguably the best spot, you know, that that any of these receivers that were undrafted could have landed in. It's a soft depth chart. What about Emmanuel Butler? That's the other guy, the other Emmanuel. If we're not talking about Emmanuel Hall and we're still talking about prolific offenses, you want to land on the Saints. That's actually a shallow depth chart. After Michael Thomas is Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn, maybe, maybe Cameron Meredith comes back from a torn ACL and MCL, a devastating knee injury that required a total reconstruction. Maybe he never comes back. Who else is on that depth chart? Austin Carr? That's an easier depth chart to climb for Emmanuel Butler than the Bears is for Emmanuel Hall. They And they just signed today, correct me if I'm wrong, Rashard Matthews. He just signed today. Wow, Nate. Wow, that's a signal that they are worried about their depth and that Emmanuel Butler could make this team. I think he's on the very back end. If Emmanuel Butler makes this roster, he's going to be the last wide receiver on it. I mean, as an undrafted free agent, it's the one of the best landing spots, I will agree. And the college production in the the conference and at the school that he played at. 6'3", 215. He has the 86th percentile dominator rating. He has the 85th percentile speed score. When you look at the cross-sectional analysis of wide receiver prospects and you find the center of that Venn diagram where the 80th percentile speed score intersects with the 80th percentile college dominator, you see a lot of hits. There's some busts in there. There's some Michael Floyds in there. There's some Brian Quicks in there. There's a lot of hits. It's a, it's, I think it's a tougher depth chart than you're giving it credit for. Ted Ginn? Yeah, Ted Ginn's not going anywhere, though. Austin Carr? Austin Carr's not going anywhere, though. I mean, when we start doing the math on these guys, Rashard Matthews, I don't know if he makes the roster or not. I, I would. How does it get easier? He's got to get past, okay, are we assuming that Traquan Smith holds down the, the second outside wide receiver position? I expect that. I think Traquan Smith has the most upside at his current ADP For sure. than any other second-year receiver. Now, I think that Christian Kirk will be more productive, but Christian Kirk's ADP has already spiked. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Traquan Smith could easily capture the number two wide receiver roles tethered to Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, respectively. And those extreme high upside second-year wide receivers are still very affordable. Of all the guys that are going into their second year um, that didn't really do a lot in year one, Traquan Smith has to be the, the perfect combination of ADP and perceived value right now. And I realize that ADP is based on a lot of perceived value, but Traquan Smith is that guy that at the end of the year we can look back and he's got 65 catches, 70 catches. You know, if, if, he, if he got targeted heavy enough as the second wide receiver in this offense and suddenly you'd go, okay, you know what? Actually, I could see that. It's a third-round drafted player in a Drew Brees offense with no more Mark Ingram. It's all going to be Alvin Kamara. And, and obviously you're a fan of Latavius Murray and Michael Thomas. What if I told you that Traquan Smith had two top five weekly finishes last season? 26.1 points in week five, 31.7 points in week 11. As a rookie, he was a top five wide receiver two weeks. Now, between those weeks, he did 
pretty much nothing, but that's a lot more than most rookies do for a full season. Yep. And, and you know, he had a 63.6% you know, catch rate. Uh, but but in these games, yeah, you, you look at a couple of these games. There was a game where he had three catches for 111. I mean, this is one that you're talking about with two touchdowns against Washington. The Philadelphia game, 13 targets, 10 receptions. Listen to Nate, listen, I repeat the box score on a loop. But here's the thing, you're you're right. When when you're mining for information, you've got to look at the small wins with these guys because that's what gives you this you know, this is what gives you sort of that motivation to go out and, and grab these players because people are not talking about Traquan Smith. You you get rid of those two games. They're talking more about Trey Quinn than they're talking about Traquan Smith. They're talking more about Deshaun Hamilton then they are Martez Valdez-Scantling. And those receivers are possession receivers. They don't have the upside of MVS and Traquan. Now, looking at running backs, a member of, of our premium podcast audience, mm. a patron, if you will, an official minion who has access to our weekly Backstage Pass show and participates in the patron forums where they provide suggestions for show segments, wanted to make sure that I knew that Nate Liss blatantly disregarded advanced metrics on the Breakout Finder podcast and said the following about Devin Singletary. He's not a good athlete, but when you watch him on tape, he seems different. Explain that take. Matt, this is this is how you know we've officially hit the offseason lull. When the biggest dynasty football podcast in the world, the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, starts taking day of fan requests... You know we're in it. We're in it right now. We're, we're digging for content. Well, this is what I did say. Yes, I have a flashlight shining at the bottom of this barrel. Yes. There's a drip left. To be fair, I did actually say that his athleticism was dog crap. So I do want to put that out there. But yeah, when you talk about Devin Singletary, if you had never seen him test at the Combine and I had only showed you his film, I think you would be surprised to find out what he actually did at the NFL Combine. So what the hell were the Bills doing? They were just basing their personnel decision on the tape, not on the metrics? Because the metrics suggest he's Kadeem Carey. Even if he's productive, that's fine. So was Kadeem Carey. I don't think we disagree on the fact that, that he's not the best prospect in his class. But you and I also talked about that his situation, despite Frank Gore, despite LaShawn McCoy, despite TJ Yeldon, those are two aged running backs, one that never stole the show. It's not improbable that Devin Singletary could have an opportunity in the future. Now, if the Buffalo Bills go and draft another running back. Here's the thing with Devin Singletary is TJ Yeldon did not practice in minicamp. He was hurt. That matters to me. TJ Yeldon's healthy and for minicamp. I feel like he has an opportunity to go out and really establish a foothold in that backfield. But without TJ Yeldon out there, it's a real opportunity for Devin Singletary. And if he can execute in minicamp, and if he can pick up the offense, then he's going to get touches, man. And that's what you want. You just want touches. And this was, this was a prospect that showed that he can carry the load. 301 carries in a season. He had 26 receptions in a season. Uh, what you know, we were talking JJ Zacharis and I and Ryan Lopes last night, and what JJ talked about with Devin Singletary, his big red flag is is how much passing game work he gave up throughout his time at Florida Atlantic. You know, 26 is his freshman year, 19 as a sophomore, then just six as a junior. To him, that was a bit of a red flag. This is like slow Ronald Jones, right? Right. So. 
he's a different he's a different runner. I mean, I realize that they're similar in weight, but Devin Singletary to me, watching him, he never ran like a running back that was 203 pounds. He's not avoiding contact. You know, he he runs with power. So you're saying he's going to get hurt in week one? No, I, I think he's built for it. Look, man, 301 carries, 261 carries. I actually think he's built to take the punishment. I just don't know that uh, that he he necessarily gets there. I think the path to be the running back in, in Buffalo for a short period, maybe some spot starts is there. And that's why I want to own him at the back of my roster. If I can get Devin Singletary, why not? I'm picking him up because, it's again, it's not improbable that he gets an opportunity. There is a path. I can't believe that a team like the Bills that are not going to be a contender are rolling out Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy at the top of their backfield. I don't know. It's such an embarrassment. If you're a Bills fan, you should be embarrassed. I think they already are. Of course they're embarrassed. They're a Bills fan. It's soaked in it. By definition, if you're a Bills fan, you're embarrassed. <laughs> right. It's in their DNA. <laughs> right. Uh. All right. Enough running back talk. Oh, thank God. I prefer to talk about wide receivers. Given that we are starved for content and out of ideas, Nate, who's your number one fantasy wide receiver? Which wide receiver are you taking first in a startup? If I could have any wide receiver. Any wide receiver. Pick your wide receiver, your favorite guy. Ooh, baby. Uh, well, then I'm going to have to go with a, a player that's that was a favorite of mine even before he got traded. I can't believe we're actually talking about good players in the Sonic Truth podcast. This is such a treat. This is this is the you don't have any more you don't have any more uh, patron members that want to take a shot at me over a tweet maybe from last year. No, I don't have any more undrafted wide receivers that landed on mediocre depth charts. Yeah, we are. This is a struggle. Well, anyways, I'm gonna get right into it. Mine is Odell Beckham Jr. Um, 26 years old, going on 27 this year. But uh, in my opinion, still definitely in the prime of his career. Uh, even with Eli Manning early on, this was a player that had back-to-back 90-catch seasons, 100-catch season, of course, injuries. Plays a final year in New York in 12 games, catches 77 balls, likely would have been near 100 catches again, and then goes to the Cleveland Browns with a quarterback that I know you are a huge fan of in Baker Mayfield. That's right. Who we expect to take an even bigger step forward entering 2019 with Odell as his primary wide receiver. Have we seen Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. play together for a single snap in the NFL? We have not. And yet you have Odell as your wide receiver one in Dynasty. Yes. Unwavering. That is highly speculative. (laughs) Is it, though? Highly, highly speculative. I am going to go with the chalk. Mm, Typical. Typical? Typical. Typical? Typical of you to save face. How dare you? Here's why I love DeAndre Hopkins. I talked about the, the confluence of factors. The center of the metrics Venn diagram. Well, in the center of the metrics Venn diagram for wide receivers is DeAndre Hopkins. Number one in the NFL in target share last year, 32.9%. That's the starting point. Also, top 10 in both end zone target share and red zone target share. So he's targeted in the scoring zone as well as all over the field. And he translates that opportunity into great production. That's what we ask of our wide receivers. Command targets and then turn those targets into production. 20.8 fantasy points per game was number three in the NFL last year. And he did it efficiently. Top 20 in yards per target. Number two in yards per pass route and top 10 
in contested catch rate, and he had one of the lowest drop rates in the league. 163 targets, only three drops. Some other services had him with no drops. Child, please. <laughs> no drops. Fuck out of here. He had a couple drops. You can't say he didn't have any drops. That's not plausible. 40% dominator rating in the context of the Houston Texans offense, number two in the NFL. Whether you look at QB rating when targeted, every kind of catch rate metric, there's DeAndre Hopkins at the top. And remember the year prior, after Deshaun Watson went out and the quarterback in Houston was Tom Savage, what happened to DeAndre Hopkins' fantasy production? Stayed the same. It actually went up. It went up with Tom Savage. DeAndre Hopkins is unbustable. He's the most stable, high-floor option in fantasy football. And that's what I want in Dynasty because you have these players for their careers. You can't take a chance. And by drafting and drafting, DeAndre Hopkins removes all the risk. He just turned 27, so you have his age 27, age 28, and age 29 seasons ahead of you. There's nothing not to like on this profile. I, I honestly think that these two guys could be could be 1A, 1B. I think what's separating Odell from this conversation, truly, aside from us having not seen him play with Baker Mayfield, is the fact that we don't know. Which is a big deal. It is. No, that's fair. The other thing, though, the other biggest factor is that we don't know that the opportunity share between these two is going to be even. When you go back and you look at DeAndre Hopkins' targets over the last four years, 192, 151, a season he missed a game, 174, and 163. I don't think Odell Beckham is going to see 160 targets in Cleveland. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but if his target share isn't matching what DeAndre Hopkins is, that's a clear difference. We both like Deshaun Watson. It's a good quarterback. This is his go-to receiver. That's the problem with Odell and Baker Mayfield. The belief is that Baker Mayfield does take a big step forward next year. The belief is that Odell is without a doubt the wide receiver one in this offense. The belief is that he will be targeted heavily, but how much is that? How well will they work? We've seen DeAndre Hopkins be great, and, and I'm with you. I, I, I would shift to DeAndre Hopkins. If we're talking about floor, you know, absolute floor. DeAndre Hopkins is without a doubt. But I think that Odell Beckham... And especially in the early rounds of a dynasty startup, you need to focus on stability and minimizing risk. And DeAndre Hopkins personifies that idea. Now, DeAndre Hopkins is 27 years old. And Odell turned 26. There are younger receivers that will exceed expectations this season and are significantly less expensive than... The receivers at the top of the sport. Give us a receiver, Nate, younger than Odell, that you think is highly underrated. I'll give you one that is that is just under my guy Odell by about a year. Um, I, I think that when I say his name, you're you're gonna think, uh, yeah, that's obvious. But I don't think, based on the offense that he's in with the pieces around him, that this player is a super obvious guy based on his ADP, based on where I see him in dynasty ranks. Brandon cooks for me is that wide receiver that I feel like is just continuously undervalued and in the Rams offense with people's feelings about Cooper cup, Robert Woods. What are the feelings on Cooper cup? I think the belief is that Cooper cup is going to bounce back and, and be the player that he was prior to the injury. I mean, Cooper cup had great rapport with Jared Goff before going down. He's the slot receiver in that offense. He's been proven to be heavily used. I realize coming into the draft, you weren't a, a massive fan 
of uh, Cooper Cup. That's right, the White Angel of Death. The White Angel of Death. Uh, but but even looking to last year, he only played eight games. He had 40 receptions in eight games. He was on track for over 100 targets and 80 receptions with a catch rate of 72% at 14 yards per reception. So very efficient in this offense. But you factor in Robert Woods. You factor in the belief that Cooper Cup comes back healthy, that the Rams continue to use Todd Gurley where they can. Henderson's now involved. I think there's a belief that Brandon Cook's ceiling is capped in this offense. And that may be true, but we've seen him in, in all seasons other than his rookie year. He's had more than 114 targets. And his one year with the Rams at age 25, 117 targets. So my concern is his target share, similar to going back to this Odell thing. But I think based on what his value is, and I think based on what people are going to ask for as a purchase price, I'm buying Brandon Cooks because there's multiple contracts left in his career. And who's to say that the Rams are the last team he plays for? And who's to say that, again, Cooper Cup goes down and opportunity opens up or Woods goes down or a lot of different factors can take place. But Brandon Cooks has been healthy. He's proven himself in this league year over year. And at age 25, I'm buying. What if I told you you could find a wide receiver just as explosive as Brandon Cooks, Mm. a couple months older, but with more air yards, more total target distance last season in fewer games than Brandon Cooks and available many, many rounds later? Would you be interested? Was he drafted? No. Oh, I I don't even think this is possible then. His name is Robbie Anderson. Mm. I really enjoyed our game log talk earlier. Yes. Let's look at this Robbie Anderson game log from 2018. Once Sam Darnold became acclimated and he posted the number one QBR in the month of December. He was the youngest quarterback in the league at the time. He also posted the highest QBR in the month of December. Week 14, Robbie Anderson, 17.6 fantasy points. Week 15, 22.6 fantasy points. Week 16, 29.0 fantasy points. Week 17, 5.4 fantasy points. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I remember Robbie Anderson being the signature DFS trap in week 17. Salary finally jumped in week 17, and the marks are the ones that played him. Point chasing all the way. But Robbie Anderson is now the established number one in New York and has established rapport with Sam Darnold. So I don't know what's not to like. These undrafted players or players drafted late, the lack of draft capital is held against them for years. In many cases, unfairly. This guy comes into the league running a 4-4-40 with a 35% dominator rating and then exceeds... The total target distance of Brandon Cooks in 2018 in fewer games. And we're still not interested. He's still available in the middle rounds of a dynasty startup. He's in his prime. And Sam Darnold could break out all over the place this year. If Sam Darnold breaks out, how good could Robbie Anderson be this year, Nate? Assuming that the volume is there, man, that's what this always goes back to. If the volume is there, he could be really good. And, And to your point... I mean, he wasn't even efficient last year. He wasn't even efficient. True catch rate, factoring in catchable targets, 78.1%, 80th in the league, and yet still super productive because he had a top 30 target share. I think Quincy Anunua and Jamison Crowder are going to crowd out all the targets there in New York. Is everything's going to happen, Nate? 
This is the softest wide receiver depth chart in the league. It has to be. You can't name a softer depth chart. This is a bad, bad wide receiver depth chart. I don't remember who I said was worse earlier, but I, I'm amending that statement. <laughs> this is the new worst depth chart because we like Quincy Anunua. I like Anunua. He and Crowder are capable possession receivers, but Sam Darnold is a gunslinger, and he may be that special talent that so many NFL teams are chasing, the efficient gunslinger who can deliver the ball accurately to all quadrants. Like we saw what happened when Patrick Mahomes broke out all over the place in year two in Kansas City. In the context of the Jets' offense, there's no way that Sam Darnold can be this year's Patrick Mahomes, but you wouldn't be surprised if he were the clear 1B to Baker Mayfield's 1A among sophomore quarterbacks this season. And if you follow that to its logical conclusion, Robbie Anderson is just screaming by. Now, another receiver, younger than Odell Beckham Jr., younger than even Brandon Cooks, received a massive quarterback upgrade. The greatest quarterback upgrade of any wide receiver this offseason. Do you know who that was? Greatest quarterback upgrade this offseason. This feels like a trick question. I don't even know why it's a trick question. Devin Funches, Nate. Oh, that's right. There you go. Devin Funches. That's quite a jump for good old Devin Funches. And now in minicamp, we're watching Devin Funches dominate on the outside. They're going to post him up as their outside possession receiver. And Andrew Luck is not shy about throwing wide receivers open, throwing into tight windows. That's what Devin Funches needs. One of the difficulties that Devin Funches faced last season was because he's not a big separator and Cam Newton's not accurate. When you put a guy that's not a big separator together with a quarterback who struggles with accuracy, you could have a lost season. Well, that's not going to happen in Indianapolis. There will be no lost season for Devin Funches. He's going to get targets, and those targets are going to be accurately placed. And I think he'll convert them. That puts Devin Funches right there with Robbie Anderson. Do you like Devin Funches? I like Devin Funches more now that he's with the Colts, obviously. Um, I've never been totally sure of exactly what Devin Funches was in this league. You know, Cam Newton is a, an entirely different quarterback than Andrew Luck is. He just went to a team and do a quarterback that was number two in pass attempts last year, almost 40 pass attempts a game. Those passes have to go to somebody. Obviously, T.Y. is going to continue to be probably the most heavily targeted receiver in this offense. Paris Campbell, the new addition with speed, he's going to be a player that's going to find a role in this offense. But Devin Funches, without a doubt, has to be one of the players that, that has to climb up the highest on most boards. But you're right, he's not being talked about amongst anybody and this is a player that they could see 100 targets this year if not more I have no idea this team threw 640 times with Andrew Luck alone last year who would be surprised if he's top five in red zone target share this year I don't think anybody I mean look who look what surprised? happened with Eric Ebron right it's Eric Ebron and the 510 T.Y. Hilton and a rookie in Paris Campbell and, and we can't forget the 510 Chester Rogers it's going to be the Devin Funches show in the red zone at the very least and in dynasty leagues, they tend to be deeper. You tend to start three or four receivers. Be hard-pressed to find a better fourth receiver than Devin Funches in dynasty. He's only 25 years old. I think Brandon Cooks is young. Devin Funches is younger than Hakeem Butler. <laughs> I mean, almost! Wouldn't that be funny? That's pretty bad. If Devin Funches in his second contract 
I wish. Younger than Hakeem Butler. I wish. <laughs> now, I saw an interesting bit of news, Nate. Oh, God. In the absence of Duke Johnson, Dontrell Hilliard is excelling at Brown's minicamp. And you think, okay, that's cool. A camp body gets a chance to shine in minicamp. Good for him, right? But that's why player profiler exists. You get to look up Dontrell Hilliard. And you get to think, whoa, 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 What if I told you that his worst workout metric was the 59th percentile, and that's bench press, and that all the other athleticism measurables are above the 65th percentile? And he's not that small. Like, he is a satellite back, 10.2% college target share, 72nd percentile, so he's great out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He's 5'11", 202. He's 10 pounds heavier than Philip Lindsay. And Duke Johnson is in the midst of forcing a trade. And no one believes Nick Chubb is a strong pass catcher. And Kareem Hunt will be suspended for half the season. And the Cleveland Browns project to be one of the most prolific high-scoring offenses in the league. Explain to me why I don't want to stash Dontrell Hilliard in Dynasty and have that satellite back on my roster for the first half of the season. Uh, I think you do want to stash him. I mean, it makes it makes sense. If you've got the depth on a roster to add a guy like this, do it. He's got an intriguing profile, but again. Also, 30% dominator rating. I went to add him in a patron league, and I pounded my desk in frustration and seeing that a patron had already picked him up. These fucking patron leagues, they are maddening, Nate. The listeners of this show are so fucking savvy, and they use this website, playerprofiler.com. And so they know all the right guys to pick up. It's really frustrating, man. I think the reality of the situation, though, in in Cleveland is that if Nick Chubb doesn't get hurt, Kareem Hunt comes back from suspension, and Duke Johnson doesn't get traded. If, 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 if. Yes, Nate. Yes, we understand that there is a scenario where Dontrell Hilliard is not fantasy relevant. Thank you very much. We're talking about a fringe stash candidate. The last guy on your roster. When you talk about the last guy on your roster, you're creating best-case scenarios, not worst-case scenarios. And the best-case scenario for Dontrell Hilliard is exciting, right? If the last roster spot on my roster is between an open spot or Dontrell Hilliard, I'm leaving it open. You're an asshole. By the way... Oh, God. What? I have multiple Dontrells occupying the final roster spots across Dynasty teams. Dontrell Hilliard at running back, Dontrell Inman at wide receiver. Dontrell Inman could receive a major target share in New England. He could be a starting wide receiver. (laughs) They have him penciled in in the Chris Hogan role in New England. Now, I know that doesn't sound exciting. That's a fruitless role, but go on. But he's competing with a rookie in Nikhil Harry, who we love. Philip Dorsett. I mean, we're looking for the thinnest depth chart in the NFL. It's not pretty. The Patriots are in the running. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, that is a that is a sneaky name that that comes to mind. Uh, you know, if an injury to Julian Edelman could shake the whole thing up. I mean, is Julian Edelman old and often injured? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. Often suspended. Anything happens to Julian Edelman, back the truck up in fab bidding to get Dontrell Inman. Can't keep all these Dontrell straight. But on most of my Dynasty League teams, the final roster spot is occupied by a running back named Ty Johnson. Mm. And I've noticed that the fantasy community is coming to Jesus on Ty Johnson. 
And in this Ultimate Dynasty Podcasters League, I have Ty Johnson because I have him everywhere. I actually drafted Ty Johnson in the fifth round. If the rookie draft has five rounds, I'm taking Ty Johnson. If the rookie draft has four rounds, I'm not drafting Ty Johnson, but instead planning to place a significant fab bid at the conclusion of the draft. That's how I operate. And guess what, Nate? What? Big company (laughs) and J. Wayne Dwayne (laughs) have made an appearance wandering over to my fantasy team and attempting to trade for Ty Johnson. They thought they could get him for a 2025th rounder. (laughs) He puts the X up. They even offered a fourth rounder. And I said, no. (laughs) Mutombo finger for J. Wayne Dwayne and big company. A lot of basketball references tonight. Should do an NBA podcast. You want to do an NBA podcast, Nate? I would love to, man. I think we already did one today. I mean, I, I think we said everything we needed to say about Kevin Durant. Did a part of what I got more takes. I don't think you do. Now I'm out. I have some tight end takes. Oh, God. But with Ty Johnson, he has the size, he has the speed, and he landed on a depth chart that is also shallow. Right? Beyond carrying Johnson, it's thin. So you could see a lot of things breaking right for Ty Johnson in 2019. And this is a team that has decided to be run-oriented. They want to run the ball. So you don't want the fringe wide receivers on the Lions. You want the fringe running backs because that's their philosophy. Same reason we talked about why you want Alex Barnes because he's backing up Derrick Henry for a run-oriented offense. Well, Ty Johnson's essentially backing up Kerryon Johnson. Who would be surprised if C.J. Anderson shows up for training camp, overweight, and gets cut? You can see that. You can see that from a long distance. (laughs) <laughs> and then everybody will want Ty Johnson. All this stands in Ty Johnson's way is fucking C.J. Anderson. Are you kidding me? Savvy move by big company and company <laughs> to try to get Ty Johnson stashed now. They're just a little late. The pod father was even savvier getting him at the conclusion of the rookie draft because that's how I do things. Because I deliver, because that's what I do. I deliver tomorrow's newspaper. Speaking of which, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't do some reporting. And Ty Johnson, listen, let, let's talk for one sec. We agree on a couple things. Carryon Johnson is the man in Detroit. Carryon Johnson was very good. Carryon Johnson's going to be the number one back in Detroit this year, without a doubt. He's getting the, the, the lion's share of the workload. Literally. 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 Literally the lion's share of the workload. Exactly. Literally. Literally. Not the tiger's share. No, the lion's share. Not the hyena's share. No. Not the elephant's share. No. The lion's share. And he's going to do it with pride. (laughs) Okay. Now, now that we're here, now that we've made it to this point, you know how we killed Ronald Jones for not being a pass catcher? You remember that? You remember us doing that? Right. And Ty Johnson, not a strong pass catcher at Maryland. Now, Now, let me hit you with a stat. Ronald Jones... In 40 football games, caught 32 passes. Ty Johnson, in 43 games, three more games, caught 29 passes. He caught less balls over his college career in more games than Ronald Jones. And that's my concern with him. And he's also bigger and faster than Ronald Jones. 
Where does he factor in in the pass game? As He adds a dimension to this Lions offense, though, that does not exist. He's going to make plays in preseason. For sure. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not against him. The fantasy community is going to know his name. I'm just concerned about the passing. It's game. not going to be a Mir Abdullah-level hype machine, but he's going to be on team preseason. You watch. I'm with you. I, I like that. I just carry on Johnson is uh, our Lord and Savior this year. Okay, okay. You've had some bad takes lately, just FYI. Is this Twitter? When Kyle Rudolph signed that fake extension. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. You tweeted, R.I.P. Herb Smith. No, I didn't. I thought that was a little soon, Nate. I thought it was a little soon. Irv Smith is 20 years old. <laughs> and the Vikings can cut Kyle Rudolph next season with a nominal cap hit, and yet you're ready to write off Irv Smith? How do you look at yourself in the mirror? I am. Hold on now. Now I'm staring at the Twitter thread, if I may. Roto World Football Post, Kyle Rudolph, Vikings agree to extension. I quote tweet it naturally. And I go, initiate Irv Smith free fall. And then I wait a couple minutes and I go, business card idea. Irv Smith Jr., professional blocker. And then you show up and go, can you stop? And a boatload of people liked it. And that's why we're here right now. That's why we're here. You need to stop. You just react. You don't dig. You don't do research. You don't look to see if this contract is actually substantive. You don't look to see how old Irv Smith is. No. You don't think about whether or not the Vikings have a third receiver of consequence and perhaps they'll be using Irv Smith in an Evan Ingram role in his rookie season. No. You don't think about any of these things. You just see the news blurb. Yes. Quote tweet. Yes. R.I.P. Irv Smith. Yes. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, yes. And you go back to your bench press at the gym. <laughs> a lot of this is accurate. Not all of it, but a good portion of that is accurate. I know how you operate. And I'm just like, please. It was painfully uninformed, and I asked you to please stop. No, I know, I know. And then I said, this train has already left the station, which it had. There was <laughs> no train is going anywhere. Irv Smith is a fantastic talent. I'm with you. Over 800 yards in the context of the Alabama passing game with multiple professional wide receivers. Yep. And he lands on a pass-friendly team, an ascending offense that's getting better, where they have their quarterback now for a second season, fully acclimated, investments in the offensive line. And I mentioned no third receiver, so he's going to play a lot of slot. I like Irv Smith, with or without Kyle Rudolph. Of course you want Kyle Rudolph for Irv Smith's rookie year so that he can get acclimated. And maybe it's Kyle Rudolph doing the blocking this season, not Irv Smith. Maybe he's the one running routes. Ever think about that? Not before I tweeted it. Exactly. Now, there are a couple other tight ends that I believe are worth debating. The Kahale Warring versus Josh Oliver dichotomy. I recently acquired Josh Oliver in a deal that you are going to hate. I know. I already know I'm going to hate it. I acquired Josh Oliver as part of a package. I gave up Justice Hill. Terrible. And I... <laughs> so drop the ball. And I acquired Albert Wilson, the number one wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins, Josh Oliver, and a 2020 third rounder. It's the most on-brand move I've ever seen in my life. For Justice Hill. Oh. No! No! This is a two tight end league, so essentially tight end premium. And... 
deep starting rosters where you start five to six wide receivers. So I needed Albert Wilson as a starting wide receiver. And because we start two tight ends, a Josh Oliver is very valuable. And a third-round pick in 2020 is currency for future trades or can become a quality asset. Why should I have held on to Justice Hill? Look, okay, I, I don't know and you don't know what Josh Oliver is going to be. But I will say this. When talking about Justice Hill, even in a tight end premium league, I still think that Hill's athleticism, path to opportunity, and skill set make him desirable, especially at a position with as much volatility as running back. And you, Matt Kelly, if you really believe that Mark Ingram was a product of the New Orleans offense, you should be all in on Justice Hill in Baltimore. The 198-pound Justice Hill tethered to a mobile quarterback who refuses to check it down. The the player that best comps to Reggie Bush? Yeah, that guy. The guy that caught over 30 passes in a college season? Yeah, the monster producer that marginalized Chris Carson during his time at Oklahoma State because Justice Hill is simply better in all phases. I, I think Justice Hill is, is a good player. He went in the fourth round. That may have changed things for some people. But I think that the situation he went into is still really, really good for him. Now, Josh Oliver, of all the tight end prospects, is a really interesting one. He goes just after the third round starts. He's got requisite athleticism. He's got the size. He goes to a team that needed a tight end with a major upgrade at quarterback. And if you're in a start two tight end league, then I totally understand it. And if, if This is a total roster... Uh, you know, depth depth point of view, because if you had running backs and you can afford to get rid of... In a traditional league, you're never doing that trade. No, no. You're holding on to Justice Hill, but it's also 2QB super flex, so a third rounder has more value. Quality players in 2QB super flex and tight end premium leak into the third round at a much higher rate. I wanted to bring that trade up because on the surface, it looked bad for me, but there was a reason why I did it. Oh, it looks bad underneath also. (laughs) (laughs) I also really wanted some Josh Oliver. The rookie tight ends I have in Dynasty are all Cahill Warring. And it's hard for me to distinguish Warring and Oliver. They're very similar. It's just that Oliver gets drafted first, and I wasn't able to get Oliver. Warring happened to be available. Who do you like better, Warring or Oliver? I've gone back and forth on these two players I mean, San Diego State versus San Jose State, similar athletic profiles, yep. similar production profiles. <laughs> Find two players that are more similar. If we could compare rookies to rookies on player profiler, they would compare to one another. I, I think for me, the big difference was that Oliver's opportunity in the Jaguars offense to me feels better. There's no true star wide out in the pass catcher group on that team. So I think there's opportunity. And he's already getting that minicamp hype. Right. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for evolution in this offense, especially with Nick Foles uh, for Oliver, uh, an athletic tight end that, you know, again, played at San Diego State. But when when it comes to tight ends, we have to evaluate these guys differently. I don't treat the, the colleges quite the same as I do with running backs. If you're running back coming out of Boise State, I'm going to take a nuclear bomb to you as tight end. There, there's a big difference with these guys and Josh Oliver. Third round pick goes to the Jaguars. They've got really no weapons. Leonard Fournette's not been great. You know, what could happen? I'm, I'm a fan of the pick. I like Justice Hill a lot because I think that if uh, Mark Ingram comes out and doesn't have any pop this year, Justice Hill's going to get his chance. And, and when we see him on the field, despite the fact that he's not 
a 225 pound running back, I think that he's he's going to open a lot of eyes, and you're going to wish you had him on your roster. I think that Philip Lindsay is skewing a lot of perceptions. If you're an undersized, explosive back, your ceiling is going to be closer to Matt Breida than it is 2018 Philip Lindsay. That season for a 190-pound satellite back was a total and complete outlier. You may not see another season like that from a 190-pound back in the next 10 years. So the primary reason I pushed the button on that trade was that number, 198. That is Justice Hill's weight. This CNC Music Factory video is what gave you the idea in the first place to dedicate our video review segment to workout videos. It's literally called Gonna Make You Sweat. <laughs> and it is the quintessential early 90s hip-hop video. Huh? This was before the dawn of grunge and gangster rap. This was hip-hop. Are you ready? Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, more than ready. go i mean i'm pumped up this didn't age well in terms of workout music i i could not work out to this well someone's getting an eye exam out of nowhere i mean it's highly stylized for the time there's just a, a sprocket on the ground spinning for whatever reason i remember that dance move a lot of guys not wearing shirts is that a sleep mask she's wearing I think it's one of those uh, headache masks that are full of ice. Is that a giant Mercedes-Benz medallion? I love the tight flat-top haircuts. you got to love the flat-top haircuts. I can't grow one. Here is the goal. Back with the face. Pajamas live in effect and I don't waste Is this Professor Ice-T? you got to be confident to rock the blazer with a turtleneck. Never done that before. It's like if you put Mark Wahlberg and Ice T in a particle acceleration chamber, psh, out would step freedom from CNC Music Factory. Uh. This is a clean cut Ice T. Imagine a clean cut Ice T teaching a sociology class. I don't know what to say right now. This video, there's not a lot going on, really. Guys holding a wheel now from a bike? No reason. There's no bike ever. Do you remember those pants with, with all the buckles going all the way down? I thought those were like gothic things. Are they not? That's what they're wearing. Post-apocalyptic looking attire. Well, they made it into this video. As did a saxophonist. Half a saxophone. I don't know what that was. 
That was the worst cartwheel I've ever seen in a music video. I could do a better cartwheel than that. What do they need these bicycles for? If they're not gonna ride them, where are they taking them? That's what I'm saying. The bike has not touched the ground in this music video yet, nor the wheels. I love that hat. That hat is perfect for a flat top. It fits the flat top haircut perfectly. Do you think Ice-T filed a copyright claim against this guy for stealing his essence? No, I think this guy's paid the ultimate price for fucking turtleback. <laughs> now that is a round-off. That I cannot do. That was a proper gymnastics move. That guy's pretty good. Showing off all different kinds of glasses, sunglasses, goggles. This was the time of the, the button fly jeans. They're showing off the fact that this is like a tour of a mall in 1990. She was trying to essentially take her glove off, but it was a long, long glove. She didn't have the reach. Pause, take a breath and go for yours on my command. Now hit the dance floor. It's gonna make you sweat till you bleed. Is that dope enough? Indeed, I paid the price to control the dice. I'm more precise to the point I'm nice. The music takes control of your heart and soul. Hopping on one leg at the end, that is the perfect way to end it. Terrible visual at the end. Horrible video altogether. Has any video ever aged worse than that video? <laughs> to this point, no. Not since we started this experiment. Not since we've started, right? Big Wet is going to age well. Speaking of videos that haven't aged well, uh -oh. when I asked you for your favorite workout song for this segment, yes, you went off the board. Yeah. I did not expect you to say Journey separate ways I don't know what it is about this song when that when that comes in the beginning it just gets you oh you know I haven't really seen the video though or at least I don't remember it mysterious woman with sexy legs following her shoes I'm hooked whoa there's a band <laughs> Oh, now we're in their face. This is close-ups from five different angles. Whoa. Wait, is this an entire air band? Yeah, there are no instruments. What the hell is she doing at the, uh, at the dock all by herself? He looks like he's in excruciating pain. Pants are pretty tight. He's just clawing at the air. What the hell is this lady lost? She went in a bay door. Now she's walking down the pier again. Are these longshoremen? <laughs> and the camera guy's like, sorry, guys. I brought the small camera. Get as close together as you can. Can't get everybody in the shot. I've never seen this much air guitar in a single video. There's a keyboard not plugged in. It's hanging on the side of the aluminum siding on a warehouse. Wait, 
Wait, the guy playing air guitar is actually the drummer. He's playing air guitar better than the guitarist plays air guitar. Well, how is this guy always in... I'm lost. I don't understand the point of the video yet. I would not want to be that aluminum siding. It just got punched very hard. That is a risky jacket to wear at this place. Wow, she looks smoldering. Angry. Intense. Oh, speaking of intense, Steve Perry's intense. Yeah. He's feeling whatever he's singing. Close up to his mouth. Are they at Home Depot now? I don't know where we are anymore. How many pallets do you need? Who said this was gonna age well? The close up guys' faces coming out from other people's faces. Why are they staring at each other? Nothing has ever aged worse. But it is quintessential 80s to be looking in one direction and to turn toward the camera. Not one instrument is plugged in. No, he's playing the barrels. They're longshoremen, Nate. And that's the smallest bass I've ever seen. That guy just sold, what do you call that with the piano, where you flick your fingers at the end, when you, you, you go down the row of keys, and then flick your fingers at the end? It's the only thing I can do. This guy is playing the guitar, an unplugged guitar, worse than his drummer, Air Guitars. Lead guitarist came off a forklift to play a solo. <laughs> Everything is either sped up or in slow motion. Oh my God. Can we just get one segment of this video that's a normal shot at a normal speed? That's not an option. Here we are again. Everybody touch each other. Is he wearing a basketball jersey over a black t-shirt? You can't do that. And why are they staring at each other at such close range? This lady had the whole pier to walk on. She decided to walk right in between two guys. Yeah, two longshoremen. <laughs> two longshoremen air guitarists. Two longshoremen. Do you understand the ending? Uh, she's listening to his music, dreaming about him. I don't know. That's right. She's listening to Journey on her Walkman while sleeping in her bed. Very, very lazy idea here. You think that wasn't a lazy video? <laughs> they decided they didn't even need instruments for most of that video. And when they did have instruments, they didn't plug them in. They had no power. There's no power out there. Too damn far down the pier. They did unload some pallets, though. Well, that's what the forklift was for. So your video is shockingly journey separate ways. I might make a change. Throwing every Sonic Truth pod listener... A curveball. Now, here's mine. When I'm working out, when I'm pumping iron, when I'm hitting the bench press, when I'm when I'm doing the curls and, and popping these biceps. Nothing can be worse than what I've experienced so far. I listen to Nico Vega, Beast. This, my friend, is real rock and roll and what real workout music sounds like. She even says America during the song. Yeah, that's true. So when I work out listening to this song, I'm also wearing an American flag tank top. Very patriotic. I like to bring a full-size flag on a staff in with me. 
they're also playing barrels just like the longshoreman in that journey video longshoreman god you know i saw this band live i was one of five people at the black cat in washington dc i think it's what you told me she was going nuts right and she went completely berserk on stage crazier than she is in this video for five people that's how i knew this was a legit band you gotta sell it if you go nuts in front of five people if you put on your whole act your whole show your whole gimmick for five people you're going places you got 40 drummers in this band though seems like overkill i love an intense drum beat it gets me pumped up that's what you want to pump iron to everybody's just drumming to the same beat this is anthem rock nate is it Yes, the crowd chanting. Da-na-na-na-na-na. Whoa, whoa. She's woking people. Oh, it's an exorcism. That's what it is. Taking the blindfolds off. They're all beating. Oh, I see. So they're all going to the beat of one drum until she takes the blindfold off. That's right. They're getting woke. The awakening. Whoa, video is moving a little fast and we've introduced a new girl. The video is moving at the speed of this electric guitar. Oh, we've gone to a very like tribal feeling pace now. Oh yes. This video makes you feel alive, Nate Liss. Uh, I'm still pretty dead inside, Matt. <laughs> when the people that hate this show find out that we like the same songs that they like, how does that make them feel? Like, let's say that you love Nico Vega, and you're the only person in your in your circle of friends that likes Nico Vega. You find out I like Nico Vega, and you hate Matt Kelly. How does that make you feel? Gross. Whoa, that's very dangerous. Throwing that powder, you inhale that stuff? Man, that's going to give you cancer. I can't sit down, man. I need to stand up for the song. This makes me want to jump up and down and start breaking stuff in my house. There is no way that OSHA was okay with this video. There are so many violations. They're throwing carcinogens in the air. Yes. Crystalline silica, everybody's getting cancer right now. This video just gave me black lungs. <laughs> she's covered in it, but not like, she didn't look bad. She, she somehow, it fell perfectly on her. You're attracted to her, Nate, just admit it. She's not my type. I'm gonna be honest with you, Matt. She's not my type. <laughs> I saw the look on your face. I don't believe you. No, I'm serious. She's just not my type. I don't know what to say. What is your type, Nate? I'm Paul Abdul. Ooh. I've got a range. I don't know. I'm just saying she's not. If that was Ariana Grande, you would have been into it. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'd probably have to shut the Skype mic off. <laughs> Turn the lights real low. <laughs> Get hot right now. I don't participate in the Pledge of Allegiance, but I was saluting during that song. I was not woke. So that was a workout. And to close it out, we owe Mike Judge, the creator of Beavis and Butthead, a measure of gratitude 
because he is the pioneer. This video review segment wouldn't exist without Beavis and Butthead inventing the genre. And perhaps the signature Beavis and Butthead segment were those two characters breaking down journeys separate ways. So you heard us break down separate ways earlier. Now let's hear Beavis and Butthead do the same. Whoa. <laughs> Is this the Partridge family? I think this is Barry Manilow. This isn't Barry Manilow. He's blonde-haired like me. Yeah, and he sucks like you, too. Yeah. I mean, no. But much. This is horrible. Yeah. And it sucks too. Yeah. <laughs> this video, like, like if it was a turd, it would like be like the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> At least if this video was a turd, it would like be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> this guy sucks. Yeah. And then this guy. <laughs> just look at him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a dork. <laughs> That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and it rocked too. <laughs> 198. That is Justice Hill's weight. That's the show. Okay, I was going to say, it seems like a good place to go out. I was like, wow, this guy's reaching for another clip. The moment I heard that Kevin Durant creates burner accounts to argue with trolls on Twitter, I, I knew that this Golden State experiment would not end well. He's already like a top 10 all time. What else can he do? What else can he do? He could have been, without this torn Achilles, the best forward in NBA history. The, yeah, the Achilles is going to be... Uh, it's a killer, man. Yeah. There's so much irony here. Literally, the Achilles tendon is like the, the thing that brings down the greatest warrior. I mean, I've listened to some pretty top-level NBA experts say that, you know, the New York Knicks are still going to offer him the Supermax contract, $40 million a year, obviously, even just to let him sit for a full year. He'll take the chance that his legacy is still significantly damaged. How do you think the Trailblazers feel? They passed on him. One pick. They had the first pick overall, and they did not take Durant. He broke his foot, and that ended one season of his, and now he's torn his Achilles in June, which will ruin two seasons. So he's had three seasons ruined by injury. He's almost a Greg Oden. He's a lean fella. He's about to catch Greg Oden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doesn't look so bad that they didn't take Durant now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we got him. Hey, man, they got Lillard. Lillard's amazing. Yeah. Lillard is amazing. So is uh, McCollum. They got a good team, but... Uh... Need this uh, Golden State Warriors roster to break up a little bit. There are a lot of miles on those legs in Golden State, dude. Good thing all they do is shoot threes. Think how many games Draymond Green has played. All I know is Steph Curry had more threes than like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird combined in his first like three years in the league. <laughs> it's so absurd. <laughs> just They're such good shooters. He's really good. And the game is on right now. Makes you feel alive, Nate Liss. 
Uh, I'm still pretty dead inside, Matt. Crystalline silica, everybody's getting cancer right now. You look majestic. If, 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 if. Yes, Nate. There's not as many mouths to feed. They drafted a 5'10 white receiver from UMass in the second round. That fucking happened, Nate. Can't keep all these Dontrells straight. A hundred targets. Whoa! Whoa! Slow down! I'm bouncing up and down here! Well, hold on. Hold on. These fucking patron leagues. They use this website, playerprofiler.com, and so they know all the right guys to pick up. A lot of basketball references tonight. The better question will be who doesn't outproduce Hakeem Butler in 2019. Oh, God. I mean, he's best comparable to Jake Kumaro. I mean, that's something. Yeah. Yeah. I know those are the Colorado State colors, but they're also the colors of... Money! Oh, baby. Money! Oh, baby. Money! Oh, baby. Money! The fuck is wrong with you, money? What are you, what are you talking about? That is goddamn right. Rashard Higgins. Whoa, whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? Oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? Oh, oh boy. Oh boy, what? Well, this is a dangerous road that we're going down right now, Matt. I th- you better be honest with me. You better not fucking lie to me, Nate. I sent you that promise ring, didn't I? Do not break your word. Be honest. Devin Funches is younger than Hakeem Butler. The lion's share of the workload. Literally. And he's going to do it with pride. Ooh. Oh. Oh, oh, little opening. Little opening for our man Ashton to sneak in there and earn that roster spot. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. Savvy move by big company and company. When the biggest dynasty football podcast in the world, the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, starts taking day of fan requests, you know we're in it. We're in it right now. Yes, I have a flashlight shining at the bottom of this barrel. Yes. No, I didn't. R.I.P. Herb Smith. Ha 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 ha. Ever think about that? Not before I tweeted it. If you're a Bills fan, you should be embarrassed. I think they already are. Of course they're embarrassed. They're a Bills fan. Soaked in it. By definition, if you're a Bills fan, you're embarrassed. It's in their DNA. Soaked in it. Week 17. Very 5.4 fantasy point. This feels like a trick question. I don't even know why it's a trick question. Because on the surface, it looked bad for me. Oh, it looks bad underneath also. Money!